for weeks now, I haven't been get, able to get away from a sense uh, that we're to be landing on a particular verse in the New Testament this fall uh, that outlines for us the fruit of the Spirit. I'm calling it spiritual fruit and the character of Christ. And we live in a time that is, as we'll see, a crisis of character. And uh, we believe in Jesus to shape everything we've declared about him today in, in our hearts by the power of his Spirit. And it is, I have to say, just wonderful to worship with you today. God bless you. Welcome again back to all of those of you who have been gone this summer and uh, those of you with us for the first time, those of you who come all the time. God bless you. Just great to be together. Um, just a word uh, about next week again. We will be meeting not at 1045 but at 1030. And our early service, our 9 o'clock service, which is a smaller service than this, will be joining us all the way through this fall and probably most of this year, assuming we can fit everybody in. And after COVID, we went to two services, spread people out, and we wanted last year to go back to one service. But we have amazing classes that meet at 9 o'clock in groups, and, and we, we have needed um, not only the 9 o'clock time, but the 1045 time for some of them. And we couldn't solve our space needs last year so uh, we, we just deferred doing this, but we've been able to, since then, come up with some solutions. I especially appreciate those in Wave Nunley's class, Dr. Wave Nunley, a world-class scholar. His class has been here over 25 years, an amazing class, and they meet over in the activity center at 1045. This is their last class at that time, and they're going to be transitioning over to room 223 up here, just off the Boonville side of the upper lobby, and... Uh, We've worked hard to create a good space for them where they'll have room. And Journey's class has moved over there from there to over the other side of the building. And we just appreciate all the changes. Some groups have gone now to midweek. And so we've been able to kind of house everybody at 9 o'clock. And I just encourage you to make this a time to really invest in your discipleship. Be a part of a class on Sunday morning. Uh, the list of classes on the website and uh, uh, whether it's Dr. Nunley's class or some of the other great classes, and it's going to be wonderful. The inconvenient part of this is that if you're sitting in your favorite seat today, there are some people in 9 o'clock service who think you have good taste because that's their favorite seat too. And um, here's where we're going to have to apply the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> like kindness, patience, goodness. We have, to be honest, over past years, have had first-time visitors sit down somewhere. They don't know where everybody else sits. They get here a little early, and they've been asked to move. And so, in almost every one of those cases, they've never come back. You just feel like, that's not a way to welcome anybody. It's just a way to make me feel bad right out of the shoot. And so, it's a good way to run, run people off. And I know it's not always fun to not be able to sit where your favorite place is. And especially, it's going to be more full. And so, even sitting closer in, in the middle, and we're still going to have, it's a big auditorium, we're still going to have room to grow as we have been growing, but, but I just, uh, thank God, we can just be God's gracious people to each other and, uh, and just kind of have your eyes open that there might be people sitting where you like sitting and uh, just say, I'm so glad you just picked the best seat in the house and, I'm, and I hope you really enjoy it. I'm going to just sit right behind you or something like that. I want to start this series today, the fruit of the series, the fruit of the Spirit, 
and the character of Christ. And I just want to focus on that word character today. And, and here's the verse we're going to be focusing on all fall. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. And I want to ask you if you recognize anybody as you read this. Let's do it. Verse 22, out loud. It's on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. I've been reading about why people are not Christians. The Barna Group recently came out with a new survey of uh, people who refused to adopt the Christian faith who would be in that category of unbelievers. And, and, and the, right now they're saying there's three top reasons. And you may be in this category yourself. And we're just glad you're here, even though you may not buy into this yet. But, but the third one was science. Science makes it impossible to believe in the Bible. Um, I prefer you not talk to me about that because I spent all my college education all the way through PhD in the sciences and my faith actually grew. So I do think there's other ways to look at that. Other people, second, the second reason that people don't adopt the Christian faith uh, apparently is, is, is human suffering, is the problem of evil. If God's good, how can babies starve? And, and that's a tough one. And my friend George Paul Wood down here has amazing class himself, George and Tiffany, at 9 o'clock. Uh, he did a Wednesday night series a couple years ago on the problem of evil. You've noticed in preaching over and over this past year, I've revisited subjects like lament and, and, and unanswered prayer and yet holding on in faith to God. And, how, how, and some of you have experienced incredible tragedies in your life. And, and for many people, that's caused them to begin to deconstruct and then abandon faith completely. So I, that one I have a lot of sympathy for. Although even though I don't understand some things that happened to me, I don't want that to rob me of living with this great Jesus that we worship today. However, the number one reason they're saying now that people refuse to adopt the Christian faith is the hypocrisy of religious people, the perceived hypocrisy of religious people. And God forgive us uh, where... That is the case in some parts of the religious world. But the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ is going to take us another direction. Because I asked you who, we read that verse a minute ago, who that reminded you of. It reminds us of Jesus. That is one of the best character descriptions of Jesus. There's no hypocrisy here. There's no double-handedness. There's no secret agendas. There's no manipulation here. He just is the God of love, joy, and peace. And he's patient, and he's kind, and he's good, and he's faithful. And when that blossoms in our lives, the hypocrite label doesn't really fit. It doesn't. So this is really important. So I'm going to just, because this is character. This is the character of Jesus and the character that Jesus is trying to shape in your life and in my life. John Ruskin put it this way, the highest reward for a man's toil is not what he gets for it, but what he becomes by it. You see, we get externalized. Everything's about what we get, how we look, all of these things. But he said the real important things in life are not what we get, but it's what we are becoming inside. And Jesus is supremely concerned about that. He wants us to make us more like him, his character, 
in us. And I almost didn't put this in, and please don't be offended, but the, but the billionaire Warren Buffett put it this way, if you were a jerk before, you'll be a bigger jerk with a billion dollars. Because the issue is not how much you have out here. It's what you're becoming inside. And that's where character goes. And you know, even great men of God in the Bible, like Samuel in the Old Testament, I mean, he lived close to the heart of God. He had the word of God. But even he fell into this, this trap of not looking at character, but looking at image. And this is everything that obsesses our culture today. And so God does something to Samuel that he does to us once in a while. He doesn't quite give us the whole story. He just gives us the first step, right? So he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to find a guy by the name of Jesse. He has eight boys, and one of them is going to be the next king of Israel. But I'll not tell you yet which one it is. So the first guy is the tall, dark, and handsome guy that comes into the room. Now, my wife and I celebrated our 40th anniversary a week ago today, and she, con she has confessed to me many times that she threw out the list. All the men in her life had been tall, dark, and handsome. I'm going, what's wrong with short, fair, and questionable? <laughs> and so, but the first guy to come, of course, dad's going to send the tall, dark, and handsome guy in. Nothing against those of you who are that way. And when they arrived in 1 Samuel 16, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's the tall guy, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Even Samuel got sucked into the image thing. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I love that the Lord said that. Hallelujah. <laughs> do not consider. I go to this to, for regular edification, um, <laughs> this verse. For I have rejected him. Ooh. He's not the next king of Israel. For the Lord, get this. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Ooh. For people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks here, right? The Lord looks at the heart. That, that's the character stuff. That's not how loud you sing here Sunday morning, although I loved hearing you sing loud today. But it's how you're going to treat your roommates when you go home this afternoon. It is what's going on in here. This is it. And I want to tell you, some of you are amazing. You have a lot going for you. Some of you have charisma. Some of you just have a lot of personal charisma. And I look at some of you and I go, I wish I had that kind of charisma. I don't, but I wish I did. But the problem is when that charisma begins to blind you to character. And, and we see this in all the stories of celebrity pastors, falling into sin and all of this, it can be that your charisma can outdistance your character. And God said, I don't look at the charisma piece. I look at the heart, the character. And some of you have a lot of followers on social media. You're quite popular. And every time you post, you get a lot of likes. But I want to tell you, God's not concerned about your image. God's concerned about your integrity. You start with integrity and then see how God might be able to use image as a tool, but it's not what defines you. I want to tell you, some of you are pretty trendy. You're pretty trendy. I mean, you keep up. I mean, you just are with it. And I go, I feel like I'm just a dunce sometimes, but you're just really with it. But I want to tell you, God's not concerned about whether you're trendy as much as he's concerned about whether you're trustworthy. 
and, and you're pretty cool. So I'm going to get Pastor Carter back today. A few weeks ago, Pastor Carter sat in my office and said, you know, we don't exactly have the cool factor. So I realize I'm not cool. But I want to tell you something. God's not concerned so much about your coolness as he is about your courage. What a tragedy that we develop a superficial culture that's built on coolness, but inside everybody's a coward to be anything different than the world around them in order to be accepted. So this is it. And some of us love hype and some of us love only adventurous movies and I'll put myself in that category and all of this stuff. But even in the churches we pick, God forbid that we ever replace hype for holiness and a heart for Jesus. So this is where it goes. It just gets externalized. So I'm going to give you a list. You won't have time to absorb all of this. It's in the printed message notes that, are, that some of you picked up from the lobby. There are probably more there. And it's on version. if you go there. And it's on the Central Assembly website, the notes for the message today. But I just want to walk through this. This is what it boils down to. Some really personal questions. I sat down and wrote a few days ago. Um, do people find it hard to trust me? In spite of how cool I might be, how many followers I might have, how many people I get to stand in front of every week like I do. I mean, the fact is, do people find it hard to trust me? And am I preoccupied all the time with how I look? I mean, we ought to care about how we look, but to be obsessed all the time with how we look. Do I treat people badly when I'm stressed? Do I break confidences in order to be accepted? Has my spouse lost respect for me? I mean, I'm talking about the person who knows you best. I don't care the image you project to other people, but has the person closest to you over the last few years lost respect for you? Have I had frequent conflicts with friends or roommates? I mean, frequent conflicts. And you know, when it's frequent conflicts with many different people, you're the only common denominator there. And are there morally questionable behaviors that I'm keeping secret? And am I generally oblivious to how my choices affect others? Do I just live so self-absorbed that, that I just make my choice? I don't care what, I don't even think about how what I do affects anybody else. That's a character flaw. And do I take credit for work I did not do? And if you've ever had that happen to you, you know how much that hurts. And especially if you're a leader, am I controlling or shaming in how I treat others? Because if you're a leader and you lead with a controlling, shaming approach to your leadership style, you are creating a toxic, abusive culture wherever you live or work. And are my customers, if you're a business owner, are my customers and employees frequently turning over? Am I finding that people regularly stop wanting to do business with me or stop wanting to work with me? And do I secretly enjoy nursing and rehearsing past offenses? Let me just say there, I'm not talking about abuse and trauma. Sometimes that lasts for years, the effects of it. But at some point, you have to get over, if you're going to recover, you have to get over delighting in self-pity and delighting in always being somebody else's victims to the degree that you just choose 
to keep. You, you even enjoy rehearsing things from years back that people have done to you, and you won't let it go. It's going to keep you trapped, and it's a character issue. Even though you may still be working through the long-term effects of trauma or abuse in your life. So there it is, character. So just to rescue us out of the pit here, I, I want to give you the context now as we close, come to the end. I just want to give you the context of that verse we read out loud a few minutes ago, the fruit of the Spirit. And, um, and it starts with what I call, a, I, I call a gold standard. It's just a few verses earlier. It's verse 13 there of Galatians chapter 5, where he says, you brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. You're called to be free. You know, and we experience freedom when we come to Jesus. Paul's talking about something very specific here. The big controversy was if you become a Christian because Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, should you apply parts of the ritual law of the Old Testament, like dietary laws, eating kosher, keeping holy days, especially getting circumcised if you're a man? I mean, do we take on the marks of Jewish identity? Do we apply those things of the Old Testament ritual law to ourselves in order to be saved, in order to have a relationship with Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, you're free from that. This is wonderfully good news, especially if you're a Gentile. You're free from that. So he said, he said you are called to be free. And, and that's what free meant in the larger context. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh. Now, the flesh is not skin and muscles, the flesh is your nature that's animated, your human nature that's animated in a way that doesn't go God's way. It, it, it is self-indulgence. The idea of flesh has self-indulgence at its core. That's why it's such a hard subject for us. We live in such a self-indulgent culture. Even our church choices are self-indulgent and our, and our recreation is all self-indulgent. And most of us make enough money that we have at least a few dollars to self-indulge. And I mean, everything is about going after our appetites, living by our stomachs, and self-indulging. That's part of the culture we live in. And flesh is at the heart of that. But he said, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather let it get you over yourself and beyond yourself to serve one another humbly in love. And then the gold standard, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. You want to obey God? I don't know if God will speak to you about anything real specific this week, but you will obey God if you, if you, if you keep your heart close to him and you love the people around you. That's God's general will for every one of our lives. That's it. That's the gold standard. But it's like Paul maybe was just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit feeling like maybe they're not getting it yet, so he gives them a reality check. He said, I think I need to unpack what I mean by flesh. So he says, now here are the acts of the flesh, and they're obvious. That's sexual immorality. That's being bonded to somebody sexually outside the covenant of promise. That's like allowing yourself to be, to be bonded with people that aren't going to make a lifelong promise of faithfulness back to you. And, and all kinds of other sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery 
And then he goes into the occult, idolatry and witchcraft. Witchcraft there is pharmakia, probably an allusion to how they would use drugs to put them in trances and then they'd encounter demonic powers, as still happens to people today. And hatred, unlike that horrendous hate crime in Jacksonville, Florida, yesterday when African Americans were targeted because they were so hated and shot down in a in a Dollar General store. I mean, we renounce that in the name of Jesus. That is the flesh. That is where the flesh takes us. Our, we're slave to our passions of hatred, jealousy. He goes on to that. Jealousy and discord, fits of rage, like people tiptoeing around us all the time because they don't know when we're going to be triggered and just explode on them. And selfish ambition like I'm number one if I don't I, I got to get mine and and I don't care what I do to you to get ahead of you selfish ambition dissensions factions everywhere we go we're creating conflict and envy I, I can't be content I just envy what other people have and I don't have yet and it drives me crazy and then he throws in drunkenness orgies and the like all the party life all the drunkenness all the bars all the dance halls all the everything else that just uh, stimulates the lusts and greeds of the flesh. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So who's ready for some good news? But, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. Uh, the flesh acts out, so it calls the works of the flesh. Self-indulgence acts out in those destructive ways. But the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is just something that grows. It's not you grunt on a vine and say, oh, I want to be a peach. <laughs> but that vine has to be connected to a life source. You're connected to the life source of Jesus and something different blossoms out of you. And it won't be hatred and self-indulgence. It will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these so I'm going to be taking those one at a time. Pray for me. There comes a Sunday when I have to try to explain the difference between kindness and goodness. You know, that's going to be two separate sermons. But I just feel we need to immerse ourselves in this. Because we're in a crisis of character in our culture today. And everything's externalizing us. And as we know, money and power will always corrupt us. And we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and his fruit blossoming in us. In fact, I took off my bookshelf just some books that people have recommended to me recently, and I've read them, and they're just signs of our culture, like Celebrities for Jesus, how personas and platforms and prophets are hurting the church. You know? Grieves my heart when narcissism comes to church. Forgiving what you can't forget because of all of the hurt and pain and abuse that people have experienced, sometimes at the hands of other believers. And and why, why do we even need books like this? We shouldn't need books like this, but they're so, so important these days. And, and I even got a book, just old-fashioned emotional intelligence, which the fruit of the Spirit speaks to in some profound ways. This is the fruit of the Spirit. We can live differently. I was reading a story of a, a testimony of a guy. His name was Jonathan, and, and, and he said, I spent my first 25 years living by my own standards I partied, I drank, I drugs, took, looked for fulfillment in other people. None of it made me happy. I wasn't content no matter what I did. That's where the works of the flesh take you. And then he says, I met, I met some people who went to an evangelical Christian church. In fact, they were 
working for the same company I worked with, they invited me over for dinner. And the word he used was jarring. He said it was jarring how different their life was than mine. I was going out on weekends getting drunk. They, they never got drunk ever. Instead, they were out on weekends helping other people. It was so jarring. I want to tell you the beauty of a gospel-centered, Jesus-honoring, spirit-filled life. The sheer beauty and brilliance of that kind of life can be jarring to the world around us in every good kind of way. Because there is another way to live than just by indulging the works of the flesh. It's living in the fruit of the Spirit. So he goes on to talk about his journey, then unfolding eventually meets Christ and about five years earlier. He said, walking with the Lord hasn't been easy. But meeting that couple started the process. Being jarred by people who are so different and so structurally content and put together and centered compared to him. He said, it hasn't always been easy. I've slipped sometimes over the last five years, but I've never regretted the decision I'd spent my life searching for meaning in a million different places, career, girls, popularity, money. I got my identity through what other people thought of me. I was haunted by a fear that I was never good enough. Now, get this, my identity comes from Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And once I internalized those words, I was free. I was free. And he entitled that article, his testimony, my supernatural shakeup. <laughs> and that's where, that's where Paul ends this section with a, with a supernatural shakeup, our supernatural help. For right after listening to the fruit of the Spirit, he said, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've crucified it. That may be strong language, but, but our sinful nature has power to it. And when Jesus died, it was crucified with him. So we don't resist sin by just gritting our teeth. We don't start there for sure. We start with faith. We start with seeing the cross, and we start with the declaration, in Christ, I'm dead to sin and alive to God. You start with that and work backwards from there. And, he's, and, and, and this is what he said. We, we, we're crucified with Christ. I mean, you're still living, right? You're not like the prisoner who was served, apparently it's a true story, he's serving a life sentence. Then he had a heart attack in, in prison and his heart stopped five times. Five times they had to resuscitate his heart and they finally got him back. And so then he goes to the judge and says, uh, I think I'm done with prison because, you know, I died. I died, so my prison sentence ought to be over. And the judge didn't buy that. But I want to tell you, here's what God buys. You're dead to the old. To all the ways of the flesh, you can have victory over all that. And you can live by a different way. So here's the verse that I'm also going to put before you every week throughout this series. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We don't live by the flesh. We live by the Spirit. All things are dying. His life is growing in us from the inside out. We're becoming more and more like Jesus in our character in our mission, and in our witness. And it's because of God's Spirit thriving in us. And I just pray this for us, we who live by the Spirit. Let's, this fall, keep in step. Isn't that an interesting word picture? 
Like I got the Spirit of God inside me, but I may not be keeping step with his Spirit. But let's keep in step with his Spirit. Let's keep saying, God, in me and, and through me every day. Lord, let me just keep keeping step, whatever that's going to mean for me on a given week. Let me just keep staying in step with the Holy Spirit. We who live by the Spirit, we're crucified to the old, but we live by God's Spirit. Let's keep in step with him.